Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce um, our guest, who I'm really glad to have in our home, um, and I've mentioned this a few times, there's really no way you can donate to this podcast. It's just a labor of love to bring stories to you of wonderful people who often and usually are walking a little harder path, sometimes a lot harder path um, in mortality. But what you can do is go to iTunes and rate the podcast and leave a written review. Really appreciate that. I read those. They're very helpful. Um, I encourage you also to um, buy my book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, All the proceeds for the book are being donated to the foundation for a young man who died by suicide. Um, You can buy the book. You can also, which really helps, is to leave a review on Amazon or Deseret Book. And those are a couple of the places it's available, Amazon and Deseret Book, as well as other places. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Andy Miller. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks. Um, just by way of bio, Andy is going to tell his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Andy is 26, um, grew up in uh, multiple places, um, eventually graduated from Bountiful High School, Yep. Um, served a mission to Uruguay. He um, graduated from Westminster um, with a degree in international business, Spanish, and a minor in aviation. Yep. And... Um, Two of those three are things I'm really interested in. I don't know as much about the Spanish language, but I love the um, everybody from around the world. Um, Andy, tell our listeners where you work and the, the multiple jobs you have of where you work. Um, yeah, so I work at a, a regional airline that's based down in St. George, Utah, um, which makes it sound like it's really small. We're actually like the seventh largest airline in the world by fleet size. Um, and that's a fascinating industry. <clears throat> yep. I have, for some reason, Andy, and I don't want to make this get too sidetracked here. I've learned as many three-digit airport codes as possible. Yeah. I don't know. My wife was briefly a travel agent. We got married and I just became so fascinated with the, all these different airport codes. Yeah. And SGU is obviously St. Yep. George. And, right. um, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but just sort of a weird little interest I've had to learn airport codes. We have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you know more than I do if you're doing planning for SkyWest Airlines. Yeah, I know a few. <laughs> um, Andy is an active Latter-day Saint. As I mentioned, he's gay. He plans to marry a man, um, plans to participate in the church as much as he can. And this is, every story is different. Every story is important. I like to share lots of stories, especially for you that are LGBTQ and perhaps closeted or parents or local leaders, just to realize this is not a one-size-fits-all space and everybody has their own story and their own path. And and um, some would say, well, why are you doing a podcast with someone that plans to marry a man, which is outside of our church teachings? Are you inviting others to do that? No, I just want Andy to share his story. Every story is important. And I think one of the things that this podcast is trying to do is bring us together in diversity and help us realize we're all the same human family and we should keep Andy in our circles and do the best we can to support him as he's doing the best to walk a pretty complicated road. And I also feel like as we're kind to people like Andy, as they make their way forward and, and support them, they're less likely to be angry. They're less likely to be suicidal. They're more likely to stay close to God and make better choices. And I think Andy's had a circle around him 
Um, his parents, I know Andy's uh, mother, Tanya, and he's spoken highly of his parents. And I'll also talk about President Crandall, which is a personal friend of mine and Andy's stake president. And we're going to talk about just his role in Andy's life as a priesthood leader. And um, that may be helpful. Both of those segments may be helpful to you, just how to con- minister and support um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Is that okay for an intro, Andy? Yeah, I think that covers it. Um, tell, just start with pre-mission, where you were living and um, just your journey during those pre-mission years about your sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess I first started noticing things when, when puberty hit, just like anyone else would, except feelings were a little different. Um, I think the, the point that I really started, um, slowly (laughs) approaching the subject and thinking more seriously about it was, um, when I was in high school, um, my family moved. So I'm, I'm originally from Utah, um, and kind of split my non-adult life evenly between here and um, Rochester, Minnesota. So uh, we moved there when I was about six. So I spent kind of my early childhood here and then mostly grew up there and then moved back um, when I was 15. So um, right during towards the beginning of high school. Um, And when I moved back, um, you know, I, for whatever reason, just really struggled to kind of fit in socially and make friends and um that you know it was obviously really hard um in a lot of ways but the the one thing that it did do for me was um it gave me kind of space to just be myself in a way that I I couldn't before because there wasn't really anyone to give approval (laughs) um and so I you know and I, I guess I kind of see you know me coming out as part of a bigger process of just kind of um, finding myself and defining my identity and learning how to how to live that openly. Talk about just your mental health during this pre-mission time. Were you, mm-hmm. were you okay? Were you suicidal? Did you have suicide attempts? And was it just share with um, us how you were doing emotionally during this time? Um, I guess I won't say much about high school. I'm not sure anyone's really that emotionally okay during high school. That's fine. Um, but no, my, so my, right after I graduated, I, I went to BYU. Um, that's where I went for a year. Um, and I, I sort of knew like genetically I was predisposed to deal with like depression and anxiety. And I, I'd kind of dealt with at least symptoms of that since I was, I think around nine years old. Um, but, um, I got, I got pretty depressed and uh, my anxiety got really bad during that first year. It was like the worst grades I've ever gotten in my life. (laughs) Um, and, and that was the first time that I ever really like realized that I, that I dealt with those. Um, and I maybe didn't deal with them as well as I should have. I just kind of went on, um, like a a low dose antidepressant, but I, there, I, I didn't do a lot to really. I guess I didn't realize how much I had to do um, to really address those and and take care of them. Sounds like you were generally okay, but, you know, just like everybody was going through stuff at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like it was, you were suicidal or... Not at that point, no. Talk about, did you come out to anybody before your mission? Yeah, so I, I kind of just punted the issue (laughs) through high school. Um, 
you know, I, I was able to avoid dating just because my whole social situation was a little weird anyway. Um, but by the time I graduated, um, I was realizing that question was going to get harder to dodge. And by that point, I'd thought about it long and hard enough and, and felt like I'd, you know, I knew what the answer was. And so, so I came out to my parents um, as I was getting ready for my mission. But, um, and they, I mean, they reacted positively and were really supportive and loving and all that. Um, but they also, my mom um, felt pretty strongly that I should wait to tell anyone else till after my mission, um, which I'll admit was really confusing for me um, at the time because I was feeling really ready to just be out. Um, but, and it, and it wasn't necessarily like out of disapproval as much as it was out of fear of me getting hurt. And it was kind of a, my mom's a very like spiritually aware person. So when like she said that, I knew that, you know, she wouldn't have said that if she didn't really feel something. And so I, I listened to that. Um, and, and in hindsight, I, I, I guess it'll make more sense when I tell more of my story, but I, I'm glad that I, I didn't come all the way out right away and um, took more time to, to do that. So after my mission, then I started, I was pretty much out to everyone. When you came out to your parents and your mom is Tanya and your dad is, what's his? Dylan. Dylan. Do you remember anything they said um, that was helpful just for other parents or things yeah, perhaps they could have handled yeah. differently? <laughs> the first thing my mom said when I told her I was gay, she was like, are you sure you're not bi? <laughs> Which totally caught me off guard. Um, actually, like that conversation didn't go like I was thinking it would. I had this kind of romanticized vision of what it would look like where, you know, she, we'd like tear up and she'd tell me how much she loved me and like, you know, everything was going to be fine and it was all beautiful and, and it really caught her off guard. It caught her off guard and that caught me off guard because uh, mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I was scared because I didn't know what to expect exactly, but I, I kind of figured, I knew my parents were pretty open about this issue and, they, you know, my whole life they'd always encouraged me to be myself and so I, I, I wasn't really worried that they would reject me, but um I think I was also hoping that she would have more answers for me and know what to do. And she didn't. And, um, I, I guess I, I realized that like, um, you know, a child coming out to their parents is a really difficult moment because it's the point where a child is most in need of like an outpouring of love and support. And oftentimes the parents are like least equipped to be able to, to do that in this situation, even if, they're not like in my parents' case, you know, they were loving and supportive. They weren't disapproving. They just didn't know what to do. And, you know, they wanted to make sure I was going to be okay. Um, but what I needed was for them to like love me. And instead they were sort of hesitant at first, but, um, yeah, I, I guess that's, I'm kind of rambling. And talk about, that's roughly eight years ago. Talk just while we're on the subject to your parents, yeah. talk about you know, your relationship with your parents and the things just, the thing I sense from what we've talked about before, they're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can mention some of that stuff in the context of helping other LDS parents know how to walk this road and support their LGBTQ kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing that they always were was, you know, loving and supportive, even when we didn't have a lot of answers. Um, but they, I don't know, I... I I think the thing I appreciate most is how 
a little changed. Yeah, we, we were already pretty close before. Um, and, and that just kind of stayed the same and it didn't really, you know, it felt, it feels pretty normal, I guess. Um, I, I think the big thing, I mean, there's a lot I admire about my parents. Um, I've, you know, I've seen them go through a lot of things and I've learned a lot from watching them do that. And, um, the one thing they're really good at is sort of carrying on when there aren't answers, um, and just sort of figuring it out as you go along and making things work, even when there isn't a nice, clear, clean, easy option or easy path available to you. Uh, talk about any advice you have for your people that are thinking of coming out LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, just any advice for them on how, specifically with their parents? Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm worried I'm going to sound really insensitive. I think like, especially kind of the first year after you come out is just messy no matter what. <laughs> I don't know that there's a right just or wrong messy. way to do it. Yeah. Um, cause that's, you know, even as supportive and loving as my parents have been, like that first conversation was, you know, a little chaotic and not what I was expecting it to be, but but it turned out okay. Um, and I guess the, the thing that I would, the best advice I could probably give is just, um, don't give up and be nice to yourself. It's, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and, and you have to recognize, I think that there, I want to be careful. I say this, there, there is a certain element of, of loss for a parent, not because, there's anything wrong necessarily with, with you, but just because there's a big change in the way that that sort of in their surroundings, right. There's, there's something that they, they thought was one way. And now all of a sudden that's, that's very different. And just, you know, psychologically you have to be able to adjust to that and um, being able to give people a chance to do that, I think is important it's hard because what you need is for everyone to just love you and build you up. But um, that's why I say sort of stick it out because um, those relationships are, are important. Yeah. um, That's consistent with what other people have shared me. And I'm thinking for some reason of, I don't know if this would be a good analogy or not (laughs) listeners. And I've never hiked up angels landing because I don't really like heights, but um. You know, it's maybe like you've been on the trail to get to the top of Angel's Landing because you've started that trail and you knew you were gay. Yeah. And you walked that road for several years and then mm-hmm. you invited your parents on the trail. And, but they're not, but you've been on the trail for a period of time and now you're right. both trying to walk up to Angel's Landing together. So I kind of like the word messy because it's going to be messy because they yeah. didn't start where you are. And it's like they're helicoptered in, you know, three miles in and, they're trying to be right where you are, but you've had this prayer. I don't know if that's yeah, a good no, analogy. That's, that was exactly what it felt like. Cause I had spent, I wasn't ready to come out until I had spent a lot of time really thinking all this out and like getting at least kind of a preliminary answer to the questions that I had. Um, you know, then I could tell someone else because I felt like I had to be prepared to answer other people's questions. And I think my parents, just because their parents were like, Oh, we're going to do this with you. But. My advice, parents, is to keep talking about it. if somebody comes out. Um, I think if you don't con- 
I think it's just fine to have a conversation. Said, how often would you like me to talk about this? Is this something um, we should, you know, talk about every week? Do you want to just let me know? I just, I just sort of lay the ground rules and say, I want to continue to talk about this and not just have this be a one and done conversation. Like if we never talk about it again, maybe you really won't be gay. <laughs> um, and that just makes the shame that that creates around you as you just vulnerably opened up that then if parents don't ever talk about it again, it maybe becomes a lot of shame. So I think you can, once someone comes out, you can just have a conversation and lay the ground rules and say, you know, in this case, Andy, what, you know, how do you want us to walk this road with you back to angels landing? You're kind of taking the lead up to the top of Angel's Landing. All three of us want to get there, but you kind of, you know, help us know how to walk this road and the ground rules as far as communication. And um, sometimes, and not every everybody coming out is different. And I think it's fine for you to ask Heavenly Father the best way for you to come out. Some write a letter or send an email and their parents or their family have a chance to digest that um, and sort of process it together before then they talk about that with their LGBTQ child. And that can be successful. And what Andy did was successful. So I just, I think, I think you will follow spiritual impressions and know how best to walk this road. Any more comments on that, Andy? Yeah, I, those are all good things. And uh, the other thing that I thought of was, um, I, I like how you talked about shame because that's um, a persistent element, I think, throughout my experience. And I think that's one that, we kind of talk about, but don't always quite know how to deal with. And I think that's, that was kind of why I said, be patient because I think when, when things get messy, when it doesn't go perfectly and beautifully, it's, it's really easy to blame yourself and to say like, Oh, I, I did something wrong or I'm not going about this the right way. or I should have done this or that differently. And that's, I guess what I want to say is that's not necessarily true just because it doesn't, look nice and clean and perfect doesn't mean you didn't go about it the right way. In chapter seven of my book, there's, it references church resources for a priesthood leader when someone comes out and, and you can refer to that listeners, but a lot of the, and the same would apply to a parent is, and they're not, the, the follow-up questions somebody would ask are not yes or no answers. They're sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, these open-ended questions that create a framework for someone who's coming out to continue to talk about it. Just the nature of these questions are excellent. Yeah. I wish I'd read them uh, during my YSA service. And so I encourage, um, that's, those are just church questions that I put in the book that is the church recommendation. Just, and I think they're great questions for all situations, parenting or local leaders to just as someone's vulnerably opening up with something that may be new to us or something we don't know a lot about, we, these kind of questions uh, can prepare us to just be in a situation to ask thoughtful questions to continue the conversation, eliminate the shame that Andy and I are talking about. Let's move on. Let's talk yeah. about Uruguay, which you pronounce it better than I do, I Uruguay. bet. Uruguay. <laughs> Say it again. Uruguay. There you go. Chile and I did all these North American versions <laughs> of these beautiful country names. Talk about your mission and what it was like to be gay as a missionary? Yeah. Um, it, I, I guess I don't know how much being gay had to do with it. There's just, I had all kinds of issues. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, so I went on my mission after my first year of college, um, starting in the Argentine MTC. 
Um, and I, I guess to be upfront, like I never really wanted to go on a mission that badly. Like even as a little kid, it just, it never sounded very appealing to me. Um, I, uh, when I got my patriarchal blessing as a teenager, though, um, it talked a lot about my mission and it became pretty clear to me that that was something I, I needed to plan to do. Um, so I did it. And, um, even though it still felt like this, you know, something I didn't want to do, especially at that point in my life where I kind of figured a lot of things about myself out and, um, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. And I was excited to kind of get out there, um, and build a life for myself, but this was kind of hanging over my head that I had to do first. Um, but I, but I did look forward to the opportunity to, to serve, um, with love and, and to help people. And, um, and I did enjoy that part of it. Um, the, I think the big story with my mission really is just my mental health. Um, my, my, I got pretty severely depressed during my mission. Um, especially the, the MTC actually was really good. I ended up having a really great district. They were like another family to me and, um, we were all really close and that was, that helped me miss my family less. <laughs> um, but then once I got out in the field and I had, um, it, I guess the way I look at it is the kinds of issues I was dealing with were always there, but, um, I was able to cope with it in a lot of ways. Um, and all those ways I had to cope with it were taken away when I was a missionary. Um, and in some ways, the ways I coped with it was kind of by ignoring it and outrunning it. But, um, you know, I had a lot of, um, shame and self-loathing and, and self-doubt and, and fear that the kind of direction I had found myself going in in life was, was the wrong one. Um, and there was not a lot around me to validate anything. So this was going on on your mission. Yeah. How much this was related to your sexual orientation versus not related? It's hard to say. Um, a big piece of it is my sexual orientation, but it just, I, I guess, when I think of kind of the origins of a lot of um, the kind of the trauma and the other root causes of, of the, my mental illness struggles. Um, I, I just kind of, like I said, like I, my, I see my coming out journey is really intertwined with just kind of figuring myself out and learning to be myself. Um, and that was, that was kind of, it was all kind of rolled up together. And I think because I already had a big piece of myself that I had to hide from people, um, and from myself even, um, you know, the people always talk about lying. They say, once you tell one lie, it's easy to tell another. And eventually you've told this whole web of lies. And, and, and that's true when you're lying to yourself too. And it becomes really easy to be any kind of person you think you need to be to get people to approve of you and to feel like you're doing the right thing. And so it, I think it kind of might've been rooted in my sexual orientation in some maybe subconscious way, but it, it spread out to other areas and you know, almost everything I did and everything I thought and felt and believed and, and wanted felt like it was um, threatened, I guess, that there was a right and a wrong way to do everything. And I, uh, as I, 
had taken time to kind of figure myself out and think more openly. I, I mean, I during high school, I kind of had a big faith crisis too um, that went along with all of that, everything I experienced then. And, you know, it changed a lot of the ways I, I thought about the church and the gospel. And I had a lot more questions and I still had a pretty strong testimony, um, especially about like the atonement and Christ. And I had a strong relationship with, with God. Um, but a lot of other things I, I was rethinking and they weren't exactly the things that I was hearing from the pulpit at church and that that made me doubt myself a lot. And that just kind of all came to a head on my mission. And I, um, yeah, but it kind of snuck up on me. Um, but I, I got pretty depressed and it was hard for even me to see because I could function pretty fine, pretty okay. Um, I seemed fine on the outside, but I just felt dead on the inside. Um, uh, started reaching the point that like I I couldn't eat. Like I would, I remember one night I was I was super hungry. It had been a long day, and I sat down to eat dinner, and I'd made um like my favorite comfort food, and I was like ready to dig in, and I got like eight bites in, and like wanted to throw up. Um, like I was so full, um, and I realized something was wrong with me, and I just started feeling more and more like. I wasn't quite to the point that I wanted to kill myself, but um, I didn't see how I could ever feel normal again and ever feel like myself again. I felt like I'd lost something that I couldn't get back. Thanks for being so honest with just how you're feeling on your mission and the vulnerability to share that. So thank you. Yeah. This is roughly six years ago. You're 26. What yep. would, if you could talk to your younger self on your mission, Mm -hmm. in some of these dark days because maybe you talking to your younger self would be the most effective because you know yourself sure. the best and you're six years removed from that what would you go say to that missionary in uruguay i'm getting closer yeah <laughs> well we'll get there by the end um that's a good question it's hard to say because i feel like the things i've learned since then and and even through that experience, I couldn't have learned by someone just telling me. Um, That's a great answer. I guess all I'd say is keep going and don't give up yet. <laughs> what could you do to give yourself hope that the fact you couldn't even eat right then, that yeah. things would get better? What, is there anything you could do to give hope to your um, younger self? I think maybe if I just sort of had said, kind of recounted some of the things I did after and with my life, the, all the things that I'd kind of dreamed, a lot of things I kind of dreamed of doing and, and wanting to do with my life, I was able to do. And I was able to kind of live life on my own terms the way I wanted to. And I think that was the thing that I feared losing the most. Talk about coming home and um, getting to Westminster. Yeah. So I, I left my mission after about five months. Um, I had... I had talked with a doctor at one point kind of early on and, and he was not very helpful, but when it got really bad, I, I talked to my mission president again and, and he, there happened to be a new doctor who had been called. So I, I talked with him and he was, he took it a lot more seriously. Um, and there really aren't a lot of mental health services available <laughs> for missionaries. And so um, since I was in a pretty severe state, I, I felt like I needed 
to go home and get help. Um, and so my mission president said, actually, the, this was an, an important moment, I think, for me. It was a difficult one, but you know, he, he gave me the option to go home, kind of. And it was still an honorable release, but he put sort of the onus on me to, to make that decision. He said, if you want to go home, then I'll, I'll help you get there. Um, and I'm like, you know, I have no feelings at this point, right? It's like, I can go and pray about it and think about it, but I don't feel anything at all. I don't know how I'm going to get an answer to this. And, you know, I, I kind of sat forever, like kind of with my hand hovering over the call button <laughs> um, because I was so afraid that I was making the wrong decision and that the real reason I was wanting to go home was just because I was, you know, I didn't want to be a missionary and I wanted to do other stuff instead. And, um, but I kind of just reached a point where I said, like, I didn't care if I was doing the wrong thing, but, um, and not that I didn't care, but it, I was ready to start figuring that out for myself instead of just holding back. Um, and I, I knew sort of like life was long and this wasn't the last decision I was going to make. And even if it did turn out bad, I wouldn't mean I couldn't course correct in some way. And I just was so miserable that I needed to go home. And so, so I decided to do it, but it was, it was scary and it took a long time to feel like I had made the right decision even after I came home. Um, so I came home and I, you know, went to therapy, started seeing a psychiatrist for meds. It took a long time for me to, to kind of figure out all the right combinations of treatment. Um, but, and I, I really wasn't in a, a state where I could go to school or work, um, unfortunately, for, for a good four months or so. But eventually I, I got a job again um, and I went back to school. I was planning on just going back to BYU. Um, so, you know, as, as miserable as I was there, I, I did like a lot of things I was studying. Um, I wanted to, to continue doing that. Um, the, it turns out the, the process for going back to BYU when you come home sooner than two years from your mission, even if it's an honorable release, is kind of complicated and, and nobody really wanted to explain it to me. They were sort of like, you just have to apply again. And um, I was well past like the actual deadline for applications. So I didn't know if there was like a different application. And I remember I actually went into the admissions office to talk to someone and he like barely glanced from his computer screen and left the door open as I'm like telling him, you know, I was suicidal on my mission and came home. Um, and he's like, I don't know, you just have to reapply. We might let you back. Maybe not. Um, but so after that, like I was sort of not quite sure what to do. Um, the thing that I really wanted to do and I wanted to do my whole life pretty much was, was be a pilot. Um, and Westminster had a good aviation program. So I decided to, at least check it out. So um, I went and just did a little campus visit and totally fell in love with it and transferred and never looked back. <laughs> it was the best decision I ever made. It's really cool. Um, and well done with what you've accomplished since you've been back from your mission. And be, I'm glad you were honest with those first four months. I think culturally, sometimes we don't take care of ourselves as Latter-day Saints and we don't give permission to take care of ourselves. And I think it's okay just at some points in our life to say, you know, I just really need to take care of myself and I, I, I just can't do everything I would like to do or have done and I just need to take care of myself. And that's not being selfish, but it's just putting you in a position then you can do the things you want to do 
and the way you want to serve others if if you take care of yourself. And um, having emotional and mental challenges is not a spiritual weakness. (laughs) We need Jesus and therapists. We need Jesus, therapists, and medication. All those things are here on the earth to help us um, move forward as best as we can. Talk about just, uh, I want to talk about um, your plans to marry a man and if, and just share with us that journey that you, you would like to marry a man, you hope to marry a man, however you want to frame that. And, and is that a recent development in your journey, Andy, or is that something you've known for quite a while? Um, No, I've known that for quite a while. Um, I think when I, when I first came out, I was, I still felt a little weird about the idea and I just wanted to be celibate. Um, I think that lasted maybe two months. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I quickly realized that, um, you know, I, I wanted to spend my life with someone that... Um, Is this all post-mission or did this... No, this would have been after I came out to my parents. Even, so even yeah. pre-mission, mm-hmm. your, your feeling was, I'm going to marry a man. Oh, that's a lot more confidence than <laughs> I've ever just... had. But that, was, that was what I... What, that was my hope. That was what okay. I wanted. Um, I definitely didn't want to be in a mixed orientation marriage. I wanted to be with someone that I could um, sort of fully and truly love. And I knew that that would affect my standing in the church and my ability to participate in some ways. But Did you voice that to anybody before your mission, just kind of your hope? Um, Did you kind of keep that private and just say, I'll figure that out post-mission? No, I was pretty honest about it, I think, yeah. Um, uh, again, I was sort of at this, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And it still felt, it, it felt wildly unrealistic, but that was what I, I was honest about that. That was what I wanted. And some would say, you know, if somebody is, you know, gay or lesbian and they want to serve a mission and they, they feel that their path post-mission may be a same-sex marriage, I would hope that wouldn't disqualify from a mission. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's required to go on a mission to just know exactly how the rest of your life is going to work out on every level, including how you're going to navigate your sexual orientation. And there's a lot of people in Uruguay, um, those five months you were there, that are better off because of your service. And you learned a lot about yourself and you developed a better relationship with your heavenly parents and the Savior. So that's my general advice, you know, is you know, is let's don't disclude people that want to serve missions just because they don't exactly know how their life, even if they're straight, they may not know exactly how their life is going to work out post-mission. And let's just, you know, embrace them and and support them as they're willing to serve. There's no question in a mission application about your future. It's mm-hmm. just, are you willing to keep the commandments and are you willing to serve and are you willing to follow mission rules? It's not a question about the rest of your life. It's a question about that period of time of serving. Yep. Are you okay with that? Yeah. No. Talk. Yeah. So tell us, tell our listeners kind of where you are right now and wanting to marry a man and how you, and how you hope to stay as active in the church as you can. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of starting just on a personal level, you know, I've, I've just sort of always felt like, um, you know, the, the things that mean the most to me about being in the church and, and the role that it plays in my life. Um, you know, a lot of those things don't have to change if I, if I do marry a man. Um, no, no one can take my testimony away. No one can stop me from praying. 
the, the sign on the buildings all say visitors welcome. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's a lot that I could still do, um, even in a same-sex marriage. Um, and really, it's about my personal relationship with, with Heavenly Father, and, and a lot of that is just things you do on your own. Um, with or without other people's approval, um, so that's kind of where I've I've been at, and I've I uh, especially when I kind of first came out, that was not um, that was very not in any way a mainstream <laughs> idea, I guess. Um, so it wasn't like a there wasn't much of a community I felt like I could flock to 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 find you know there wasn't much of a dating pool either. <laughs> um, the really for a lot of much of the time that I've been out, um, there are basically two options. Um, well, three options. You can stay in the church and be celibate or mixed orientation marriage, or you can leave the church completely. Um, and neither of those were what I really wanted. Um, I wanted both of those things were equally important to me and equal part, parts of, of who I am. And, um, I was determined to try and strike that balance. So I've kind of always had an idea of the kind of person I want to be with, but I never, never quite knew how to find that person. And um, I did have a, so I've never really dated anyone, um, but I've had experiences that have um, helped me learn about love and relationships um, that I won't go into detail just because of, or out of respect for other people than anything, but um, it's it's been it's been hard, but um, it's been painful a lot of times. But um, but I've always had hope, and it's yeah, I know there's a lot. <laughs> um, Why do you want to stay in a church that, in some some people would use this language, that doesn't have a place for you, um, the way it does for somebody that's 26 years old and straight sure um i think that has a lot to do with me more than it does the church um i remember i mean this was kind of something i had learned uh, over time but the point where it kind of clicked for me was i was having a conversation with my mom one time this would have been maybe a year after i got back from my mission so i was kind of i was out i was you know, getting my life, figuring my life out and was, things were going pretty well. Um, but I remember there had been like a lesson in elders quorum that, that was really difficult and made me feel uneasy. And and this question kind of was weighing on in my mind of like sort of imminently going to change. Um, and this kind of discouraged that hope for me and made me feel like maybe things are almost getting worse. Um, and, I, and I had to kind of confront that question, you know, if, if things don't, things don't get better. What does that mean for me? Um, and so that was kind of what I was talking to my mom about. And, um, she said, you know, I I hope you don't leave. Um, which I've always known that's how, what she would say. Right. But the things she said after that really surprised me. And she said, if you, or she also said, also important to say, she also said, I love you no matter what you decide, but I hope you don't leave because if you do, the only thing that you'll be accomplishing is proving those people right. So I think you don't have a place here. Um, and that really changed my perspective on things that 
you know, I was, I was in the elders quorum presidency. I was pretty involved. I was very active. I had a strong testimony, you know, and, and I still felt all this, all these things and had all these beliefs and opinions about myself and my life and where I wanted it to go. And, you know, I, I'm, I was the one that got to decide that I had a place in the church and the church can do what they want with me. That sounds, that sounds more bitter than I want it to. Um, you have to kind of look at it as a relationship, I guess, that they're going to make their decisions and I'm going to make my decisions. And I have to accept that they're going to make their decisions, but I get to decide the role that the church as an organization plays in my life. And it's been important also to learn how to separate um, uh, church doctrine from the church as an organization from the church culture. Um, you know, I, I have a testimony in the doctrine, but the, the organization sort of is, has a purpose and, um, but it's, it's a more of a, I look at it as being more pragmatic than doctrinal, I guess. Um, and that helps me create, that's helped me kind of create some better boundaries and help me be able to reconcile things and, and focus on the actual gospel and the role that it plays in my life and not confuse gospel principles with cultural norms or church policies because those are distinct from each other. I really like that, listeners, what Andy is sharing. I like any sort of framework <laughs> that people can use to stay in the church and stay connected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe so much in the gospel of Jesus Christ the importance of relationship with heavenly parents to get spiritual direction and get love and support, the role of the Savior and the atonement, not necessarily just to take away sin, but to heal broken hearts and to give hope. Um, and that applies to all of us. And there's this idea that Christ descended below all things. So somehow he understands Andy's road um, and can walk this road with him. So even though some may feel just as good about the institutional church as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some, like Andy, um, may feel better about one than the other. Um, and let's create space for um, so people can, the ultimate goal is so they can connect with our Heavenly Parents and the Savior. And I always felt the institutional church that I support and believe in. I believe our leaders are the authorized servants that hold priesthood keys that make the saving ordinances possible always felt that's a means. It's not the end. It's the means to connect us with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things that really bring hope and healing into our lives. I read a tweet this week. Um, it was, and I don't know if this is reference consistent with some of the negative things you hear at church time at church sometimes, but this person was, please get creative in how you teach what it means to be worldly. You can't use the LGBTQ community as your scapegoats in your lessons and spiritual thoughts. And you're smiling a little bit. I will, uh, to be fair, it's been a long time since I've heard anything like that used. But I've heard that plenty of times throughout my whole life, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes just teaching, we need to drive home our points by creating a bogeyman or a villain or a bad guy. And let's look to poverty. Let's look to sex trafficking. Let's look to sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia all the different societal problems we have. So there are real problems in society, but let's don't, as a universal sort of like 
bogeyman, if that's a word, just talk about the LGBT community because it might be people in that very classroom that are LGBTQ Latter-day Saints walking a pretty difficult road and need things at church that help them feel like they're wanted there and a feeling that their gifts and contributions. Let's talk um, a little bit about your stake president. His name is Steve Crandall. Um, He's a personal friend of mine. Uh, love him and his family. Professionally, he's a physical therapist. I got referred to him by one of the top back surgeons in the Salt Lake City area that mentioned that he sends his own grandchild to see Steve for um, back issues, physical therapy issues, and Steve has done wonders um, for me as a friend and also on my back. But let's um, talk about his role in your life as your priesthood leader He's been walking this road with you for a while. He was your stake president, even all the way back to before your mission. Yeah. So we, um, it's about a year after I graduated high school, my parents moved down to um, Cottonwood Heights um, into President Crandall's stake. So, so he was actually the stake president that set me apart and sent me on my mission um, and the one that I yeah, set me apart both at the beginning and the end. Um, and I mean, I, I, you've met him, obviously. He's he's a really amazing man, and he's been a great friend to me. And um, he's he's very spiritually sensitive, um, and connects with you on on such a um, deep level. Um, and he was always just so loving and supportive of me, even before he knew I was gay. Um, I remember when I came home from my mission, one of the things he emphasized was if if someone asks if you've been on a mission or if you went on a mission, you get to say yes. You can leave it at that. <laughs> um, you know, he, he really affirmed for me that it was an honorable release and that, um, you know, it was, that that part was done and I, I did what I could and um, that helped me a lot. And um, I remember... <laughs> I kind of just had a, a regular follow-up interview with him a few months after I got back from my mission. And he was just kind of asking me about um, my life and what I was doing. And, and obviously dating came up and, and I sort of said, well, I'm, now I'm not really dating because I'm gay. Um, and I was pretty honest that like, you know, if I'm trying to think how I said it, something to the effect of like, if, if I had the chance to be with someone that I, you know, I really love, um, I, I wouldn't, because this was a long time ago. But you know, he was he was supportive with that. He reacted positively, and um, and he's just been a good friend to me ever since. And I, I try to visit him about once. It's come out to be about once a year, but just every time I feel I'm with him, I feel the spirit so strongly, and he um, he's just done so much to make me feel like. I do have a place here and that I'm, I'm valued and, um, and that I'm loved. But does he try to talk you out of marrying a man? Nope. Why? Um, I don't know. I've never asked him. <laughs> I didn't want to press him. No, I mean, and I don't want to mischaracterize him. You know, he make it seem like he doesn't take his responsibility to take president seriously. You know, he's obviously encouraged me to live principle of the gospel um, as much as I can and in every way that I can. And um, 
he mostly, I think mostly we just, I would say we avoid the topic, but it just doesn't come up very much. He doesn't, you know, I know that if I told him I met someone, he'd, he'd be excited and happy that I was happy, but not necessarily. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't necessarily had a lot of opportunities to talk about it with him in more depth than that, I guess. But. What's the most important thing he's been doing for you since your relation? And it's it's yeah. an unusual situation because he's been a stick president for a long time. And yeah. so he's been your stick president for a long time. Yeah, about seven. coming on seven years. Yeah. 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 What's the best thing he's done for you? And this is kind of yeah. you talking to other church, local church leaders. He's... Um, He's just been a good mentor to me. He's been someone that I can go to when I have questions or problems or I'm just, I can just talk to him about my life, just even little things. Um, he, he always just makes me feel better if I'm with whatever I'm struggling with. And, um, you know, it's easy for me. I, like I think almost everyone, I, I struggle a lot with self-doubt, especially when it comes like spiritual matters and and he's always very affirming of, of of me and helps me feel more confident my ability to um recognize the spirit i like that segment i love um you know when i was a singles word bishop there were some ysas i connected with and would meet with that they're their path, their self-appointed path or the path they self-determined was not consistent with all the church teachings. And I just gradually felt that my job was to just kind of get on the road they wanted to walk and walk with them and let them exercise their agency. And I would not just make my whole relationship with them about, you know, getting them aligned with all church teachings. I wanted to be involved in their lives in kind of a non-agenda way so that I could influence their life as needed. And I would be a safe person if perhaps they felt a course correction was needed, that they would circle back to me um, because they hadn't kind of dug in their heels to have to prove what I was suggesting was wrong, was the right way. And I just, you know, some eventually returned to full activity in the church, but some just needed my help. And I recognized I could help them stay connected to God, to stay connected to the gospel, the things you're talking about, if I was involved in their life. And um, and so I just think what President Crandall's, you know, is his role in your life and your parents' role in your life is, I have to wonder where you'd be with the church without, you know, your parents and President Crandall. I don't wonder. I know that, because like I said, I'd, my relationship with the church was still kind of difficult after I got back from my mission and as I was coming out. And it, I don't feel that way anymore. And I, I can credit that largely to President Crandall. So your feelings about the church are better? Very much so, yeah. At concurrent with wanting to marry a man? Yeah. <laughs> it and just that, feels safe to me. That's So I think that's, you know... Not maybe enough said on that, but I I think we as local leaders, and I'm not a local leader anymore, so I'm using past tense. We can fully support the church, sit in our chair, and and not compromise church teachings, but just let people self determine what they think their very best path is, and just walk with them, and do our very best to keep that relationship unconditional and open, and the communication going. Because I and just be an 
to be able to be an influence for good, to point people to our heavenly parents and the Savior and the gospel. And I look at what you're saying, the role of your parents and President Crandall, and that, you know, has really helped you um, moving forward. And, and so that to me is a, a great success story. Talk, um, we're kind of, we've got about eight minutes left. We're trying to keep these at about an hour. We'll see if we do that, listeners. Um, just keep, you know, in this last eight minutes, share more that you'd like to share, Andy. Yeah. Um, I think just kind of the things that are on my mind now, it's a, I don't want to say this is surprising because it really shouldn't have been, but um, one thing that I don't hear talked about very much it's kind of what happens after you come out. Like I think all these stories often just end up kind of, they all lived happily ever after. Um, and that hasn't really necessarily been the case for me. Um, you know, life, just because you have to deal with this doesn't mean you're exempt from the rest of reality and any other challenges in life. And, um, you know, for me, I, I really come to look at coming out as just part of growing up and, just because I came out, what doesn't mean that I was done growing up and I still had to, um, learn a lot of lessons the hard way of, um, find my way through life and face other setbacks. And, um, and I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, cynical when I say that at all. It's just kind of, and in a way it's actually kind of beautiful because like that, you know, the thing that I always wanted was just, it's a sort of normalization. I want to be able to be myself and also have it be normal. And that's what it's been. <laughs> all, all the good and bad that comes with that. Um, and, you know, I still have to, I still have to learn all the things anyone else would have to learn about, um, you know, about life and relationships and um, family and, all, all those, all those things. Um, and so I think, and I think that's, that's something, like I said, uh, something we don't talk about very much and, I th and that I wasn't really well prepared for. I think I, I did kind of more, more than I probably would want would have been at the time. I really did kind of believe like, Oh, I'm, I fixed this thing. Like my life's just going to be great and easy and everything's going to work out, you know, from now on. And, and sometimes it did in a lot of ways it did. And I, I was able to uh, live life on my own terms and I've done, you know, I've, I've been able to build a life for myself that I feel happy with and I've done some amazing things and had some wonderful experiences. And, um, and I've also like had the rug pulled out from under me a lot of times. And um, the hard thing about that is it, and this kind of goes back to a similar idea I was saying earlier, um, you know, my, my, my propensity, my ability, my capacity for, um, it's like self-doubt knows no bounds. <laughs> um, you know, when, when things don't work out, it's so easy to, to blame yourself. Um, when things, something goes wrong or your life isn't perfect, it's easy to feel like you did something wrong or you made a mistake or took a wrong turn. Um, and then you kind of can trace that back to, you know, should I have never come out in the first place? Like, did I get all this wrong? And it's, it's taken, it's been hard to learn this. It's taken a long time, but I've, I've really had to learn to, to not do that <laughs> and to just accept that life can still be messy and 
that doesn't mean that that I made the wrong choice. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong about who I am and what I feel. Um, all, all the all the wonderful, beautiful things I've learned are still true. How much hope do you have about your future? <sighs> um, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> um, around the time I graduated college, I, I faced um, a few big kind of unexpected personal losses um, that really kind of shook me and made it hard for me to feel hope again. Um, because I'd I'd really worked hard on on figuring myself out, getting my life together, and I felt like I was on such a good track, and, um, and that all just got upended out of the blue. Um, and you know, it was hard to you know when you rebuild yourself so many times, you start to wonder what's <laughs> what's the point. Um, and it, I'll admit, it took a long time for me to. To, to do that after that and to feel like there was reason to hope again. And um, it feels maybe a little less fervent than it did before, but I, I do have hope. I think I'm honest about the fact that I really don't know a lot and I don't really know, I can't see the future and I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of things in my life and things that I, you know, can maybe see coming and things that I have no idea about that I won't see coming. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, life's going to be bad and doesn't mean that I won't be able to find happiness for my life. So. I think you're just in a great spot, Andy. I think you've done so much work. Um, I sort of just look, you've got this foundation of understanding your emotional health, understanding your sexuality understanding the institutional church, understanding the gospel. And so I, my natural reaction is to just fill you with a lot of hope um, because I think you've done a lot of really good work. Um, back to the angels landing. Um, I, I think you've, you've really done a lot of work on whatever the hardest parts of that trail are um, to be able to get to the top of angels landing if that's sort of where we're all looking to get. Yeah. Um, and the beauty of that, and maybe we get to Angel's Landing and we leave and we get back, so it's maybe not quite a perfect analogy. And we maybe just not, we should enjoy the moment as we're climbing up Angel's Landing and not just that mm -hmm. vista at the top. I will never climb Angel's Landing. I'm scared of heights. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so I will never firsthand experience this, but I see you all post it sometimes on social media and I go, oh my gosh, I could never do that. But I love hiking in the outdoors. Um, I just... Um, I wanted to make a couple comments in closing. We do podcasts, obviously, with people that have come out or are coming out, but there's a lot of you that may still be closeted, and there's maybe some of you that feel your path isn't to come out. And I talked to somebody recently who I guess came out to me, but has just felt impressed not to come out. And my reaction to that was, don't come out then. Um, we can't do a podcast with somebody unless maybe they disguise their voice who's not coming out. But I would guess there's a lot of people out there, listeners, that you feel impressed that your path is not to come out. And I wouldn't put labels on yourself like, now, okay, now I'm in a on inauthentic or whatever that word is, or I'm really not true to myself, or I'm a coward. Don't do that. Um, 
just walk the road that you feel is best for you. Stay close to your heavenly parents and receive personal revelation. And it's back to this concept of own your own story. And these other stories may help you own your own story better, but don't feel like you've got to do this the way any other podcast guests. And then I want to come back to your mission. And obviously when you go on a mission, you go through the temple and you make covenants. There's five of them. And if you're think if you're gay or lesbian and you're pretty sure or maybe wonder if that's part of your path that I will eventually marry a man, if you're a guy or a woman, if you're a, a woman, then you go, well, should I go through the temple? And that's a that can be a little complex because there's a feeling there that maybe breaking covenants puts you worse off than if you've made those covenants in the first place. And this is just kind of the gospel according to me, is I think at the judgment seat, if I think, you know, if God's going to have to judge you, you know, if you're in a same-sex marriage. And but I'm not sure he's going to judge you more harshly if you spent two years of your life or five years of your, five months of your life or whatever, out consecrating yourself to bring people to Christ and to a better relationship with him and the foundation principles it gave you in your life. So I wouldn't just rule out a mission um, if if you're just not sure how it's going to work out post-mission, and if you, even if you feel like I'm probably going to end up in a same-sex marriage, I wouldn't, because of that, rule out a mission. Um, I would just back to just get personal revelation for your path, but don't make it too, don't necessarily have to rule that out. Um, hope that's okay, listeners. Um, just some thoughts as I, I want more people to serve missions, Andy. I'm glad you <laughs> served mission for five months because I love my mission. I love the people I helped. It was a foundational experience in my life. So naturally, unless it's um, emotionally traumatic or there's logical reasons not to serve missions, but it's just a general feeling I have. So anything else you'd like to offer up before we close, Andy? Um, trying to think. And I liked, I hope I'm not dragging this out too much. I like how you talked about everyone's story is, is unique. That actually, this is something I was going to talk about and forgot. Well, the reason I was glad that I didn't come out to everyone else right after I came out to my parents, because um, I was also really ready to kind of get really involved with the sort of budding um, LDS, LGBT community that was kind of emerging at the time. Um, and I, you know, the thing that I, I learned in kind of the year or two after that was there was a lot of kind of unrelated things I needed to learn about myself and a lot of things I needed to figure out how to do. I really needed to be able to learn to kind of be my own person and stand on my own two feet and answer these kinds of questions for myself and and not just trade, you know, following one group for following another. And I I feel like if I had done that, it's possible I could have lost myself just as quickly as I found myself. Um, I've kind of also talking about like your angel's landing analogy. I've, I've come to kind of look at this not as much as like choosing a path or going down a path as much as just kind of wandering in the wilderness. Cool. <laughs> you, you have, you, you know, kind of generally where you're trying to end up, but you don't quite know how you're going to get there. And you spend a lot of time just kind of figured out eventually and you kind of go one way for a while and then you might have to turn around and go another way. And it might, getting there might involve going weird, confusing directions to go around certain obstacles. And it probably feels like it's messy and chaotic, but, um, but you learn a lot more 
from that than if you were just following a, a trail that someone led for you. And that's, yeah, that's how I've come to think of it. That's great. Andy um, Miller, almost hesitated on your last name. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Great story, great insights. You'll share some things that reach people in a way that no one that no other guest has said in a way. So thank you. And um, thank you, our listeners, for joining us once again. I really encourage you to read my book. I feel like a, a salesman on the podcast now. Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's hundreds of stories. And and share it with family, local leaders. Um, I just hope it's a book that brings us together as the same human family. Um, please go to Amazon and Desert Book. Um, especially Amazon and well, both of them and, and give it a review. I'd appreciate that. And thank you for joining us on another episode of listen, learn and love. Mm -hmm.